Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. So I would venture to say that most of us in our lives have worked some terrible jobs. And I would also venture to say that at some point in our lives, most of us have been terrible at some jobs, okay? Um, I have done both. Um, thankfully, not worked too many terrible jobs, but I have also been terrible at some jobs. In fact, right out of college, I was trying to figure out what to do. So I, I became a salesman. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I just decided to do it. To those of you who are salesmen, uh, good for you. Uh, you're really, you're better than I am. And so I spent three months there and I was terrible at it. And at the end of those three months, both my boss and I were very happy to move on. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I thought I might be a little better at this because I thought it would be run, something that runs in my family. My dad was a great salesman. My grandpa on my dad's side was a legend of sales. In fact, I love this one story that he once told us about a company that he was trying to sell to. In fact, he was trying to sell to the CEO. And every time he would try and meet up with this guy, every time he would try and uh, connect with him, the guy would blow him off. He would say he didn't have time for him. So one day, my grandpa, he showed up to the offices and the secretary tells him the same thing. says, hey, look, he doesn't have time to meet with you today. And instead of getting dejected and walking away and say, oh, I'll get him next time, my grandpa did something that I thought was really, really funny. He passed on a message from him to uh, the CEO, and this is what the message said. It said, this morning, I talked with God. Why can't I talk with you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And actually, the CEO thought so, too. So he actually got the meeting, and he made the sale, and it was amazing. And yes, we could use that to write like sales books and books on courage and persistence and all that. But I think there was actually something deeper going on there. There was, in my grandfather, there was this belief that that day he had actually met with the Creator God, the God who created everything, God Almighty. And it changed everything about how he approached his world. You know, and after getting to spend a lot of time with my grandpa, who I love, I got this chance to see kind of behind the curtains on that relationship with God. What did it consist of? What was it all about? And I could really point to two things that I think he did consistently. One was that he had a love for the Word of God. He was always reading his Bible. He was always reading the Scriptures. But the second thing was that he was someone that prayed faith-filled prayers. I mean big faith-filled prayers prayers. You know, the internet can't quite agree on who said this. It was either Martin Luther, the Reform, Reformation leader, or Martin Luther King Jr. Nobody really knows. Um, but here's what they said. One of them is still good, so we're going to read it. To be Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Anybody feel a little out of breath right now? And I want to welcome you, whether you're watching at TCI or Boardman location, or if you're here at our Warren campus, I want to welcome you as we start this series first, and today we're going to look at how we can put God first in prayer. And so I want to start this out with a question, whether you're here at Boardman, I want to ask you this question. I want you to promise me to be honest with me, okay? I promise I won't tell. How would you describe your prayer life? How would you describe your prayer life? Now, some of you in this room are killing it in the prayer department. But there are probably most of us who at some level were anywhere on a scale that says, yeah, it's good, not where it could be, to, yeah, can we go to the next question? <laughs> and, and the truth is that most of us, we feel like we're failing in prayer. And the unfortunate 
reality is that most of us are so disappointed with prayer. And maybe you're a Christian in here and you're somebody that has constantly tried to build this discipline into your life. But every time you do, you feel guilty. You leave feeling guilty because every time you pray, you start to think, man, I could have been praying for a little bit longer, right? Like five minutes could have been 15 minutes and 30 minutes could have been an hour. And once you get to an hour, you could have been praying for two hours. And I once heard a guy who prayed all night and I can't even pray for like an hour. And so we start to play these games in our head where we start to say, yeah, is it just, it's just not enough. We're inadequate. Or maybe you're somebody that's a Christian, or maybe you're on the journey and you're trying to kind of find God. And, and one of the things that you've done is when you've prayed, those prayers feel like they've come to nothing. Those prayers don't seem like they're getting answered. And so it's caused you to ask some questions. It's, it's caused you to think, well, does, does God exist? Or if he does exist, does he want to hear from me? Or maybe I'm just doing this completely wrong. And ultimately what we start to do is we start to say, man, if, if prayer was a test, I would be failing. Which has caused us to think, is prayer a test? You know, we start to think like, well, is God just trying to measure our spirituality and just trying to get us to be this perfect little heavenly creature? And, and are we just messing this up? Because if it is a test, can we all agree it just feels unachievable? Just feels like something that we could never really do good enough? And to make matters worse, we know prayer is important. We know that like our life would look a whole lot better if we were actively praying for things. There are some people, you don't have to look at them, okay? But there are some people who could use some God intervention, okay? And we know that our lives, our families, our coworkers, that people would look better if their life conformed to the will of God. And yet we still find a way to pick up the remote instead of, you know, praying. And we know it's important, but, you know, we don't want to do things we're not good at. This is why I will never go roller skating. Because um, when you're about five years old to maybe 11, there's this window that you have in life of kind of learning to be a really good roller skater or rollerblader. And I miss that window. I don't know if it was my friends were doing all their parties at Chuck E. Cheese or if I just wasn't popular enough to get invited to the roller rink. But... I just never learned this skill, and it really didn't bother me much until I was about 21 years old, and we were, there was a college event. This girl I was trying to impress, she invited me to go roller skating, and I thought, yeah, how hard could it be? Hard enough. And, and uh, so I show up there, and I am, like, lacing these up, and as soon as, the la you know, as soon as I got them laced up, I'm like, all right, let's do this. And then I try and stand up, and I think the best way I could describe what this looks like, if you want to visualize this, Picture a baby giraffe trying to walk for the first time. Okay, it's like the jelly legs, you know? And, and so I, I'm kind of just, I'm going, I'm doing this for about two hours. And, uh, you know, the next day I wake up just sore because I've literally been, I've been holding on for dear life for about, you know, two hours. And I realized something then and there. I realized that there was no amount of peer pressure. There is no amount of social pressure. There's a very small amount of money that you could give me, okay? I'm talking like in the four figures, five figures that you could give me to go rollerblading, to go roller skate. I won't do it. My wife is pregnant in the front row. If she has this kid and the kid wants to go roller skating, I'm saying, you're going with your mom? Or I'm going to take you and I'm going to go sit over by the pizza section and you figure it out on your own. I mean, that's just my world. And I think sometimes we unnecessarily feel disqualified from prayer. 
We unnecessarily decide, I'm not doing that because I'm not any good at it. We feel like that baby giraffe. But what if there was actually a better approach to prayer? What if there was an approach to prayer that you could spend less time focusing on how good of a job you're doing and more time seeing your prayers answered? What if there was an approach to prayer where you spent less time focused on, did I say the right words for the right amount of time with the right amount of faith, and instead had this loving relationship with a father, a heavenly father, and a love for people that just kind of overflows into this beautiful, vibrant prayer life. I believe there is a pathway to that prayer life. And it starts with Jesus. See, because Jesus, he lived 2,000 years ago and somewhere around 33 years on this earth. And for about the final three years of those 33 years, Jesus did things that were revolutionary. His life, death, and resurrection, they changed completely how we saw God and how we approached God. And so Jesus would do things like Jesus would teach with an authority on truth that nobody had ever seen. Still, nobody has ever rivaled. Jesus would heal people. In fact, even Josephus, a secular scholar, noted that Jesus was a miracle worker. And Jesus was a guy who would go around and someone couldn't walk for their entire life. Jesus would help them up and they would walk for the rest of their life. Jesus would give sight to blind people. He would give hearing to those who were deaf. Jesus did miracles. He would heal those who were oppressed by evil, people that had demonic uh, over, uh, who were being influenced by demonic. Jesus would free them instantly. Jesus did incredible, incredible things. But one of the things that I think Jesus modeled for us, and one of the most important things that Jesus did and who Jesus was, is that Jesus made it very clear that he was God the Son, and that as God the Son, that he was representing who God was. In other words, if you want to get the clearest picture of who God truly is, you need to look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God values, then you need to see what Jesus did and what Jesus values. Now, if you're familiar with Christian thought, if you're somebody who is uh, at all familiar with this, you would probably say, yeah, I know Jesus is the model, the mark that we shoot for. He's the one we could try and model our lives after. We've got the bracelets. We've got everything figured out. But I think most of us, when it comes to prayer, if we're honest, we don't really consider what Jesus had to say about prayer. We try and wing it. We get in there and we're like, all right, let's just figure this thing out. But Jesus, when you look at what he said, as recorded by the four gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John alone, you see that over 60 times, Jesus either taught on prayer or modeled prayer for us. So that means that within four books of the Bible, we have this image, this model, this show of who Jesus really is when it comes to prayer and what he really cares about. And if you start to dig into this, if you start to dive into what Jesus taught about and what Jesus modeled for us in prayer, what you're going to find is that Jesus challenged our thinking in almost every possible way. He would challenge us to this big, faith-filled, audacious faith that pray these big, faith-filled, audacious prayers. There were prayers that said, nothing is impossible for God. I don't care what mountain is in front of you, that God, through the power of faith and through his Holy Spirit, he can change those situations. It was this belief that God could really do anything. Look at what Jesus says as recorded by his follower Matthew in Matthew chapter 7. 
He says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is saying, I want people who live life in my way of life to have this constant attitude of asking. You ever been annoyed by that person that was just willing to ask for anything? And like, they're not ashamed about it. They have no shame. But you know what? They get a lot more things because they just are willing to ask. And you're like, I would never ask for that. But they get it. God is saying that there are things that you have not received in your life because you haven't asked for them. There is wisdom that you haven't found because you've never sought God for it. There are doors of opportunity that are not open to you because you've never knocked. And Jesus is challenging us. He's stretching us to build this lifestyle where prayer is just this constant thing, where we're, we're bringing it to God. But I love how when he builds this principle, he then follows it up with the kind of the why behind the what. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus lays out the principle, ask, seek, knock. But then he's, he shows us why. He says, there is a heavenly father that loves you. And he loves to give good gifts to you. Things that are advantageous to you. Jesus shows us not only how to pray, but he shows us how to think about God. And what you'll find is as you dig into this for yourself, as you start to dive into how Jesus approached prayer, what you start to notice is that Jesus taught us how to really cover everything in prayer. He shows us how to pray with the right motivation. He shows us how to not babble on and try and make it sound really spiritual and good, but shows us how to just get to the point because God already knows what you're going to ask. He shows us how to not only pray with the right motivation, but the best motivation, which is love. He says, hey, look, when you've got an enemy and they're persecuting you, I want you to go ahead and pray for them. Jesus, he shows us how to forgive one another, how to make the horizontal relationships in our life right. His prayer, it changes everything. Jesus really challenges us here. And what you're going to find as you discover Jesus' approach to prayer is that prayer is not a test. It's a tool. Prayer was never designed to be something that you measure yourself against and that you try and find out how spiritual you are. Prayer is a tool that God wants to use to bring his way of doing things into the world around you and the world within you. It's his kingdom. He wants the way it's being done in heaven to be happening everywhere. Jesus said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We have an opportunity to invite heaven into every place around us, into our families, into our coworkers, into everything that we do. Prayer is never a test, it's a tool. And I think sometimes God wants to answer our prayers effectively, but here's just a little question for you. Has God answered prayers that you forgot about? Or if God answers prayers, do you remember that he answers those prayers? 
See, I think oftentimes we do this thing where we pray, and then by the time the prayer gets answered, we forget that we ever asked. You ever done that? God, please help me get on this road trip safe to where I'm going. Get there safe. Did God get any credit for that or no? Is that, okay. Um, God, please bless this food that I'm about to eat. Uh, help me to not die from it. Okay. You ate it, feeling pretty good. God getting any credit for that one? Either? Okay. But what about those more serious things in your life? God, we're in like this huge financial debt. Would you provide a way out of this? You get out of the debt. Did, did God get any credit for that? I think some of us, if we're honest, we don't actually pay attention to whether God answers prayers in our life. And I don't know if this was something that instinctively happened to me or if somebody taught me this, but as a young man, I started to just write down things. I started to write down whenever God would answer prayers in my life. And even to this day, I, I, I type it out and I'll, in black, I'll write uh, what my prayer request is. And then when God answers it, I put it in red. And, and you know what it does? When you see God answered a prayer, it gives you more faith to pray the next one. And as I was getting ready for this, I, I started to look back over the decades and started to just look at all of these different red areas where God had kind of answered prayers. And I was reminded of this one situation of a lady who at our church had a torn meniscus and she had gone to the doctor and he told her she had a torn meniscus. And um, so she, she came to the church and said, hey, I'm, I don't know what they're gonna have to do for this, but I was just wondering, could you pray for me? And so we prayed for her. And in that moment, immediately, she started to feel like, wow, this actually feels pretty good. Like, I, I really do feel better. Like, I, I don't know. So she, she went to the doctor and the doctor is looking at everything. He says, yeah, um, you had a tear, right? Like, there, there's no terror in here. Now, she said something I probably wouldn't say, but she was like, yeah, I've just got a better doctor. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, that, that's straight up miraculous. Like, torn meniscus completely healed on the spot. Did you know the tragedy of all that? If I wouldn't have written it down, I would have totally forgot about this huge miracle that God did in my life, in her life. I think sometimes God is answering prayers all the time, but we're not paying enough attention. So am I saying you need to write everything down? No, but how do you do it? How are you gonna remember what God does in your life? Because God is going to answer those prayers. Now, as I talk about this, there might be a little check inside of you that says, wait a second. Like, I'm kind of tracking with you here. I believe God wants me to ask for stuff, but I, I kind of feel guilty about making God my cosmic grocery list. Or, or making God like this cosmic Santa genie mix going on. Like, that just doesn't feel right. And if you have that check going on, I want you to know that's actually a good thing. Because God is not your cosmic grocery list. God is not your cosmic Santa. He's not your cosmic genie in a bottle. See, as we approach prayer, we have to look at how Jesus approached it as well. And one of the things that Jesus modeled for us in prayer was not just the willingness to ask God for things, there was also one key word that Jesus modeled, and that was submission. Jesus modeled submission in relationship. He had a relationship with his heavenly father, and there were times where Jesus said, have it your way, BK. Look at what it says uh, in Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus in the garden before he's about to go to the cross. Let the gravity of these words kind of sit on you for just a second. It says, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, 
let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Think about that. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. There was something inside of him that said, I would rather take the easy way out. But what did he do? He submitted to God's will. And there are times when we approach prayer that we have to be willing to not only bend our will, but sometimes just break our will under the submission to a heavenly father. Now, I know that here in the West, submission is something that just really gets us, we kind of react strongly to submission. We hate the idea that someone else could tell us how to live our lives, how to do something. But if you want to have an effective and fruitful prayer life, you've got to do what Jesus did. You've got to live a life that says, not my will, but yours. And you say, well, doesn't God just want me to be happy? And the answer is yes, kind of. Because I think most of us, we kind of just assume God's ultimate goal for our lives is for me to be happy. Can I just tell you something? God's ultimate goal for your life is not for you to be happy. Whoa. Uh, okay. It's a byproduct of God's ultimate goal for your life that you'll be happy, but it's not his ultimate goal. Parents, you understand this, right? Like when you have a kid that wants to do something and it's going to like kill them or do, you know, really cause serious injury, their personal happiness is affected in that moment. But your ultimate goal is not their personal happiness in that moment. You know that they will be much happier after they don't die, okay? So uh, there is something that God wants for you. And his ultimate goal for you is really simple. God's ultimate goal for your life is that Christ would be formed in you, that you would look more and more like Jesus. And the reason that that's God's goal for you is because the way he has designed you, the way he has created you from the very DNA inside of you, God has created you and designed you to live in a way that is the very best. And when we start to live like Jesus and when we start to act like Jesus and think like Jesus, our life lines up with that which is best. And let me just tell you, that's when you experience the greatest happiness. It's a byproduct of God's ultimate goal, but it's not his ultimate goal. So what does that mean? It means that there are times when you pray that God might say no. And there are times when you pray that God might say, hold on. I'll give you some examples. You know, throughout my life as a young man and then now as a married man, Kristen and I, we have sought God for financial provision. There have been times where we needed God to come through for us financially. And as we seek God and ask God for those things, there have been times where God will do it miraculously. I mean, somebody just shows up in a way that you never expected. They hand you something. They give you something. They provide something for you. And you're like, whoa, this is totally out of the blue. God, you are so in this. But there have been so many other times that God was totally in the process of us learning how to budget and actually working a job and getting us that job and then allowing us to like go work hard. And some of us are praying for the lottery and God wants to answer our prayer through the budget. Like some of us, God wants to answer your prayer right now to get you out of debt through a budget. And you may say, man, but doesn't God want me to have like the lottery? Doesn't want me to make all that money? Sure, God is totally fine with you making money, but he knows that if you get that money without the process, chances are it'll ruin you, not save you. 
And God wants to help you to build a life and build a character and build something that will enable you to follow him better. And so when you learn how to build that budget, then you can structure your life in a way where you can be more generous than you ever thought. You can give more away than you ever hoped. God wants to help us through the process. God wants to build us and answer prayers very often through a process. And sometimes that's just not fun. Because that takes patience, that takes perseverance, that takes trusting God even when it doesn't look exactly how you thought it would. That's just a little bit harder. But that's what Jesus modeled. So there might be something inside of you that says, okay, well then how do I know what to ask for? Like if God it has this desire for me, how do I know what to pray, what to ask for? And the truth is that you will always have the most confidence in prayer when you're praying from God's will, for God's will. Let me show you what I mean. 1 John 5.14 says this. This is one of the apostles named John. He's writing, and this is his thoughts. He says, we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that what? Come on. Pleases him. All right, we got to do a little bit better. Whenever we ask anything that pleases him. Okay, let's go on. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. So what John's saying is, look, if you want to ask prayers that you can ask with confidence that God will answer them, ask for things that please God. Ask for things that matter to God. Because those will be the best possible things for those situations. We have to begin to conform our will to His. And as we conform our will to His, we start to pray with a greater confidence because we know that God is hearing those prayers. I would say it this way, that the more you conform to his will, the easier it will become to desire his will. So the more you allow the process of God to transform your life into the image of Christ Jesus, the easier it will be to desire the things that God desires. And then once you desire the things that God desires, you will pray with a greater confidence. You'll see God answer those prayers, and that will build even more confidence in you, and you will be able to know better the desires of God and then pray with a greater confidence. This is the way the kingdom works, is we pray according to the things that please God. We pray for the desires that God has. We pray in the Spirit, from the will of God, for the will of God. You know, I was reminded of uh, a story of when I was a senior in high school, and it was Christmas break, and some of my friends and I, we were going to go celebrate at IHOP and do a gift exchange, and it was really fun. And that morning, I was just praying in my room, and um, in that time, something happened that hadn't happened before and it hasn't happened since, but I just had this vision while I was praying that God wanted to heal the sprained ankle of one of my friends who had injured it during soccer. And so I just saw like me praying for him and him like jumping up and down and feeling totally better. And so we went to IHOP and after IHOP was done on our way out of there, I, I just pulled him aside in the parking lot and I said, hey man, um, I think God wants to heal your ankle. Can I pray for you? And he's like, sure. And so I, I prayed for him. I laid hands on his ankle and and. I'll never forget his like expression was like, dude, we, we said a lot of dudes back then, okay? I just want you to know, okay? We just said a lot of dudes. We were Southern California boys. We were just like, dude. Oh, he's like, dude. He's like, dude, it feels better. He's like, starts jumping around. He's like, whoa. And um, I can just tell you that I never prayed with more confidence than in that moment because I knew God wanted to do that. And you may say, well, Ryan, that's great, but I don't get visions when I pray. <laughs> You know, the only vision I get is like me eating a hamburger. Um, and, and that's fine. I've only had that one vision in my life. But here's what I do know. 
when, when we pray, we actually have the will of God available to us. Did you know that? That in the scriptures, in the teachings of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, in the people that he entrusted with his truth, we have the will of God. We have the desires of God. We know the things that please him. And so because we know those things, we can actually pray from those things. And God loves to answer those prayers. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus was teaching his followers, and this is what he said in John 15, 7. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. So Jesus is saying, look, remain in me, remain in that relational connection to me. Let my words or the scripture, let the truth of who I am, let the truth of what I've taught, let the truth of everything I am, let that remain in you. And then when you pray, you'll pray things and God will answer whatever you desire. But what will you desire? Probably the things that God wants. Your desires start to line up with his. You start to see things the way he does. Jesus is saying, if you want to have a great confidence when you pray, pray from the will of God for the will of God. So how do we do that? I think it really comes down to starting to get into the Bible. Start to really pour our lives into that. It's not just something we do to maintain a religious discipline. If you thought that, then you got it twisted. We, we feed on the word of God because it, it's supposed to take over our lives. It's supposed to be the very DNA of God that starts to transform us, transforms the way we pray, transforms the way we look at the world. It transforms our desires into his desires. And so as we pray from his desires, we pray with a greater confidence. So how do we do this? How do we take this next step, start to pray? Well, the good news is there's no right amount of time. <laughs> there's no perfect words. Just start to study Jesus. Get a little bit hungry to know what Jesus cared about. But we want to invite you into something as a church that we're going to be starting on January 9th, and that's a 21-day fast. And I say invite, even though it's a difficult thing. We want to invite you into a fast, which is basically the decision to give something up for a period of time in order to seek God. You could give up a meal. You could give up certain kinds of food. You could give up video games, social media. You could give up sports. You could give up a lot of different things. Somebody asked me yesterday, can I give up vegetables? I was like, I don't know. I think that kind of defeats the purpose. To each his own. Um, in fact, I remember a student a couple years ago, he gave up Skittles and like it was the hardest thing ever for him. And it was awesome. He ate like two packs a day. I was like, dude, that's not good for you, but I'm glad you're giving them up. I think God was so proud of him for giving up those Skittles. But what we're doing is we're basically saying, God, I need you more than fill in the blank. I need you more than social media. I need you more than this meal. I need you more than sports. And this pains me to say, I need you more than video games. All my middle schoolers just shed a little tear right there, okay? I get it. We are humbling ourselves and saying, God, there are areas in my life that if you don't show up, I can't do this. This will not happen. But remember, this is not something to make you more favorable to God. This is not something to try and earn God's love for you. This is not another test. Fasting is a way to create time for that which matters most. 
It's creating time for prayer. So there's this beautiful mixture of humility and creating time for God to move that I think does special things. I can look back at my life and every year for the last decade and a half, my church has done a fast in January. We've done a fast in January, somewhere between 21 to 40 days. And I can tell you that some of the most significant shifts that have taken place in my life have come as a result of something that happened in January. Sometimes it was the change I needed itself, and sometimes it was the seed of that change that happened in January. I can remember a time when I was a senior in high school, I really felt like I was gonna go to the next level and play baseball in college, but it was my senior year, second semester, I hadn't gotten one offer, not one college was interested in me. And wouldn't you know it, in January during a fast, my dad happens to run into a coach we haven't seen in six years. He has a connection out of school, gets me an opportunity to work out there, I end up going there to place to play college. You can call it coincidence, I call it providence. I think about times where I really was struggling. There was an area in my life, I, was, I just kind of felt like I was hitting that wall over and over. You ever had those areas in your life where you, you keep going and it's like, man, nothing is changing. I had that area in my life and I really thought God needed to change everything around me, but what he did in the middle of a fast is that God changed something in how I saw the world. He changed something in my perspective. And because of that change in my perspective, it actually freed me to help change the world around me. There was a huge breakthrough God came through during a fast. I remember there was a point when I was out of college, I, after I had washed out of my sales career, I really felt like, God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I felt depressed. I felt like, man, I don't know where to go in life. <laughs> I feel like I don't have anything in front of me. And it was during a fast that God revealed to me some things about the way I saw the world that allowed me to see, okay, ministry could actually be something that I step into. Because I disqualified myself for so many years. But God, in the middle of a fast, he planted this little seed that changed the course of my life. So where's that area for you that you need God to come through? Is it a relationship? You need God to come through? Is it somebody you're believing for to be brought into the kingdom of God? To come to faith in Christ? You need God to work on their heart? Is it something financial? Do you have a mountain of debt? What do you need God to come through for in your life? The time of fasting is a time to say, God, I know that only you can do this. I know that only you can make this happen. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I'm willing to say I need you more than everything. As a church, we wanna partner with you in this. We wanna help you take those steps together. Every Wednesday night from January 9th all the way through the 29th, we will be gathering here together to pray and believe with you. You know, I saw this study one time that said, if you wanna lose weight, the most effective way to do it is let other people know about your progress and then keep them posted. So basically like post it on your social media all the time. Why? Because there's, there's power and accountability. There's power when other people know what you're going through. So this fast is not a personal endeavor. This is a corporate endeavor. So let your spouse know what you're believing for. Let, let the person in your connect group know what you're believing for. Let some random stranger know what, no, I'm just kidding. Let somebody know what you're believing for. And man, let's join in together and let's seek God. And let's watch God do what only he can do. 
Because we know that there's certain areas if God doesn't show up, we're not going to make it. It's not going to happen. That's what this fast is all about. We believe that God has given you not a test in prayer, but he's given you a tool to change the world around you for his glory. And so just think, maybe dream for a second. What would my world look like if God had his way in every situation? Let's go ahead and pray. God, we are so thankful to you that you are not trying to make us earn something from you or you're not trying to measure our spirituality, but God, you just love us enough to give us tools to change the world around us. I pray that you would help us pray, that you would give us insight and wisdom into what you value, to the things you desire, and that you would help us love you more and know you more as we go on this journey of prayer. You know, as everyone has their heads bowed and eyes closed here online, TCI, Boardman, you know, the the thing that Jesus did that revolutionized the world was Jesus created a different approach to God. Littered throughout what I've been talking about today is this idea that it's not about what you can do to earn something from God, it's about what Jesus did for you. And that is the ultimate picture of the gospel. That we are never good enough for God. I don't care how good you think you've been or how bad you know you've been. We are never good enough to earn God's salvation. We are never good enough to earn God's life, but that's the beauty of what Jesus did. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, he died for our sins, but he rose to life again so that we could have life in him. And to every person who has ever walked this earth, he offers an invitation. He offers an invitation to life. And today I'm gonna offer that same invitation. It's an invitation to know Jesus as more than just uh, some random deity that's disconnected from our lives, but to know Jesus personally, to allow him to give you life eternal, to allow him to forgive you of your sins and make you a new person so that you can have life with him forever. If, If that's you, if I'm speaking to you right now, even if you're at home watching online, if you're at TCI, Boardman, if you're here at our Warren campus, and God is speaking to your heart, then we're gonna pray a prayer together. And it's a prayer that so many have prayed. And this prayer is powerful because it really kind of verbalizes something that's happening in your heart. And that is a decision to trust God with your life, to put your faith in him. So as we pray this prayer, if that's you, I want you to pray it from your heart and really believe that God promises that he'll do his part, which is to make you a new person, it's to save you. So church, would you help me out? Would you help me pray? No one prays alone. Say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner, but this morning I make a decision, a commitment to follow you. I believe that you are God, that you died for my sins and rose again so I could have life with you. Save me, I'm yours. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. 
The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.